Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. So I just wanted to start by saying, getting this off my chest, my name is Joey, and I'm preaching a sermon on joy. (laughs) I don't know if that was intentional, but that's the way that it worked out. (laughs) So this... This is a picture of Ruben Pardo, Ruben Pardo. When the documentary that this photo was uh, taken from was created in 2016, he was the oldest elevator manual operator in the city of Los Angeles. So 11 hours a day for six days a week for 40 years, he took the patrons of 5514 Wilshire Boulevard to and from their jobs. He had a simple life, some might even say a little boring, but the way that he lived it was strangely compelling. Compelling enough that the LA Times ran an article about him in 2011, and then someone followed up with a a documentary in 2016. So every day, young tech-savvy professionals would ride his beautifully ornate elevator to their loft apartments and their offices. And every day, Reuben would greet them the exact same way, with some cheer and by name. He would ask them about their lives. He would make jokes about their ride. He would impart a little bit of joy. And his riders, they, they just soaked it up. One of his regulars describes the experience of riding with Reuben in this way. It's like a glass of fresh water every morning. I don't know how he does it. But every day for him just seems to be a bright opportunity for something. And it's not like Ruben had an easy life. He immigrated to the United States at age seven from Mexico City. And he had to work hard at odd jobs like painting garages and shoveling snow and operating elevators in order to support his family and put his siblings through school. Now his brother is a public defender. His sister is an accountant. His other sister is a pharmacist assistant, and they all have bigger houses and nicer cars than he does. But when you ask Reuben about his life, there is no regret, no resentment. Instead, he just says something like this, we are happy. Me and my wife, we are really happy. As long as you're happy, as long as you are full of happiness, that's all that matters. Wouldn't you like to meet someone like him? Someone who just exudes joy. Or better yet, wouldn't you like to be someone like him? Someone who has a happiness that doesn't fade, a joy that lasts. When's the last time you experienced this kind of deep, abiding joy? If your answer is all the time, then God bless you. 
you have my permission to tune out for the rest of the message. You know, you can read a book, uh, say a prayer, take a nap as long as you don't snore too loud. But for the rest of us, I guess our answer would be not for a while. Not for a while. Oh, we experience pockets of happiness, pockets of, of feeling good. But then life happens. A recession takes our job. A disease takes our health. A war takes our peace. A death takes our loved one. And all of a sudden, we lose it. We lose that feeling of happiness. And then we try all sorts of things to try to get it back. But none of it seems to last. Pastor John Ortberg, in his book, Dangers, Toils, and Snares, he describes this process of us frantically trying to get happiness and then not having it last. He writes, When we take our children to the shrine of the golden arches, they always lust for the meal that comes with a cheap little prize, a combination christened in a moment of marketing genius, the Happy Meal. You're not just buying fries, McNuggets, and a dinosaur stamp. You're buying happiness. Their advertisements have convinced my children that they have little McDonald's-shaped vacuums in their souls. Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in a happy meal. I try to buy off the kids sometimes. I tell them to order only the food, and I'll give them a quarter to buy a little toy on their own. But the cry goes up, I want a Happy Meal. All over the restaurant, people crane their necks to look at that tight-fisted, penny-pinching, cheapskate of a parent who would deny a child the meal of great joy. The problem with the Happy Meal is that the happy wears off, and they need a new fix. No child discovers lasting happiness in just one. Remember that happy meal? What great joy I found there. Happy meals bring happiness only to McDonald's. <laughs> you ever wonder why Ronald McDonald wears that grin? 20 billion happy meals, that's why. When you get older, you don't get any smarter. Your happy meals just get more expensive. <laughs> wow. Isn't that the truth? When we get older, we don't get any smarter. Our Happy Meals just get more expensive. So we try to buy our happiness. We try to earn our happiness. We try to achieve our happiness, but none of it lasts. And yet, in Galatians 5.22, Paul writes that the fruit of the Spirit is joy. That means joy, lasting joy, is a natural result of following Jesus. So we don't have to chase after it. We certainly don't have to buy it. It is our inheritance as children of God. God's intention for his children is for us to have lasting joy. So how do we get that? How does the Spirit grow the fruit of joy in our lives? Well, like Pastor Randy shared last week, when it comes to the fruits, it's all about the roots, right? Healthy roots grow healthy fruits. So what do we need to be rooted on in order for us to produce the fruit of joy? To answer that question, we're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up or you can launch the app and go to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3. 
1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So what we have is a living hope. Because Jesus not only died for our sins, he was resurrected for our salvation. So this isn't some misguided, faint hope. We can be confident about what is to come because Jesus has already gone there. He's already risen from the dead. So when we follow God, we, we are birthed into a living hope and, verse 4, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. See, no matter how wonderful life is, the best is yet to come. And now, no matter how terrible life may get, there's always something better waiting for us over the horizon. Because we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. In other words, this is an inheritance that doesn't fall simply because the stock market crashes. Can I get an amen? Its, its value is not dependent on the rate of inflation. It's not like cryptocurrency that rises and falls on the tweets of Elon Musk. This is an inheritance that never perishes, spoils, or fades because this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot steal. And we are shielded by God's power. By whose power? God's power. So the God of the universe, the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills, the, the possessor of the stars in a billion galaxies, guarantees our inheritance until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And then it, Peter writes in verse 6, the key. This is what he says. In all this, in other words, in this living hope of an imperishable inheritance, in all this, you greatly rejoice. In other words, Peter is telling his readers that their joy comes from their hope. Lasting joy is rooted in living hope. Can I say that again? Lasting joy is rooted in living hope. And that is so crucial because that's what separates the experience of joy from the feeling of happiness. You know, our feelings of happiness are often, often dependent on what's happening to me right now. So if I get an A, I'm happy. But if I get an F, I'm not. If I get a promotion, I'm happy. But if I get fired, I'm not. If I guess the wordle, come on now, in two words, I'm happy. But if I can't guess it in six, some of you understand my pain, I'm not. See, our, our, our happiness, our feeling of happiness is often dependent on what's happening to me right now. And that's why it's so fleeting, because it's rooted on the shifting sand of our circumstances. But joy? Joy is a fruit that grows in the most adverse conditions because it is rooted in the firm foundation of living hope. 
See, that's why Peter continues on in verse 6 to write, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you, have, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. See, Peter fully expects his readers to suffer grief and all kinds of trials and still have joy. Because he understands that joy is not the absence of hardship, it's the presence of hope. So we can have joy in every circumstance, in all circumstances. We can have joy when we're facing hardships. We can have joy when we're facing grief. Because joy and sorrow, they're not incompatible. In fact, joy sometimes shines through in moments of intense sorrow. Henry Nouwen writes it this way. Often we discover the joy in the midst of the sorrow. I remember the most painful times of my life as times in which I became aware of a spiritual reality much larger than myself, a reality that allowed me to live the pain with hope. There's that word again. I dare even to say my grief was the place where I found my joy. Have you ever experienced that before? That your grief was the place where you found your joy? I have. Because sometimes, wrapped up in moments of deep sorrow, there remains a marrow of hope, and it feeds life-giving joy and pushes back the flood of despair. The joy of the Lord becomes our strength. And the longer I live, the more I realize how broken our world really is. When I was a fairly naive 22-year-old youth pastor, I thought ministry was all about just hanging out with the kids, you know, having Bible studies together, playing basketball together on Sundays, uh, do, going on mission trips together. And it was a lot of fun, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I miss those days. But it wasn't long until I started to experience the, the brokenness that is present in every single one of our lives. A youth member struggling with addiction, a family confronting abuse, a parent dealing with loss. I think one of my most difficult moments early on in my ministry was attending the funeral of a former youth member who had been killed in a car accident. He wasn't even 21 years old. That funeral was tough. If I close my eyes, I can still hear the raw anguish in his parents' cry. It was like somebody had grabbed our hearts and was just twisting them. But after the funeral, after the, the testimonies, after the goodbyes, several of us who knew him from when he was younger gathered around the lobby of that little church, that same lobby where we had first met that boy with oversized glasses and a head too big for his body. And we remembered. We remembered his insatiable curiosity. We remembered his, his vigor for life. We remembered his infectious smile. We remembered, and we cried, but we also laughed. Because as difficult as it was to say goodbye, we knew that that goodbye was not forever. 
So wrapped up in that moment of deep sorrow was a marrow of living hope, of resurrected hope, and it fed our joy. So we wept, but we did not weep like those who have no hope. Because as the psalmist writes, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And that's why James, the Apostle James can write, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's why Paul can write to the Corinthian Christians, In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds, because their joy was not dependent on the absence of hardship, but on the presence of hope. They understood that lasting joy comes from living so if we want to experience lasting joy, we also must focus on living hope. I love how Pastor Stephen Furtick puts this. He says, joy is a point of view. Joy is a way of looking at things. Joy is a focus before it's a feeling. Can I say that again? Joy is a focus before it's a feeling. Joy is not always a feeling. So when James tells us to consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, he isn't telling his readers to feel excited, to feel happy about the trials that are coming. I mean, that would be ridiculous. Nobody walks around and says, oh, I can't wait for my family and friends to betray me. Oh, it makes me so happy when, when, when someone curses me out and gives me the finger. You know, which finger did you think I was going to give you? Nobody says that. Nobody says that. That's not what James means when he says consider it pure joy. Because our joy does not come from the trials. It comes from hope. Lasting joy is rooted in what? Living hope. Living hope. It's not, it's because I know what follows the trials that I can have joy in the midst of it. You understand that there, there's a big difference between going through a trial with a guaranteed good outcome and going through a trial with no guarantees. It's like the difference between riding a roller coaster and an out-of-control train, right? Any roller coaster fans here? Anybody like riding roller coasters? Okay, there's some of you, yeah. I love ro riding roller coasters. When I go to Magic Mountain, my favorite roller coasters there are X2 and Goliath. Yeah. Really thrilling. But every time I get on those roller coasters, I know I'm going to survive, right? Some of you are shaking your heads no. <laughs> I'll tell you what I tell my wife. Millions of people have ridden those roller coasters, and they're fine. But if I get on a high-speed train, and it loses its brakes. If I get on an airplane and it loses its engines, that's real fear. Because I have no idea what's going to happen. There's no guarantees. That's why you'll find plenty of people on a roller coaster laughing and cheering, but you'll never find anybody on a crashing plane going, Wee! Look, Ma, no hands. See, that's the difference that guaranteed hope makes. It enables us to have joy in every circumstance. That's why joy is a focus before it's a feeling. Because when we focus on the living hope, 
we eventually get the feeling of happiness. So let me ask you this morning, this afternoon, what do you focus on? Where's our focus? I'll tell you, most people focus on what we don't have, right? We walk around life doing this, constantly looking around for what we don't have that other people have that we want, right? And it's painful and a little bit dizzying. <laughs> Imagine what that does to your souls. See, comparison destroys our joy because it undermines our hope. So what are we focusing on? Are we focusing on things that build our hope or destroy it? Let's go back to that roller coaster. You know, there's only two types of people who ever ride roller coasters. Those who are excited to ride and those who are forced to ride by those who are excited to ride. <laughs> right? Only two. And as soon as they get on, you can tell which camp they belong to. Right? Those who are excited to ride are like, those who are uh, 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 forced to ride are like, right? So what's the difference between those two groups of people? Isn't it their focus? One is focused on the fun. The other is focused on the fear. One is focused on the blessing. The other is focused on the burden. They're obsessing with everything that could possibly go wrong. Oh, what if this safety harness breaks? What if I'm stuck upside down? What if, what if the roller coaster falls off its tracks? Am I channeling any of your thoughts right now? <laughs> and because we think those things, it undermines our hope. So if we want to be rooted on living hope, we have to focus on those things that build our hope instead of destroy it. Focus on the blessings rather than the burdens. And that's why throughout Scripture, God encourages us to give thanks. Not because He needs to hear our thanks, but because we do. We need daily, almost hourly reminders that the roller coaster of life is safe with God as our engineer. That the ups and downs, the twists and turns, they all lead to a guaranteed good destination. That weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. So take the time to give thanks, to count your blessings. A psychologist by the name of Bob Emmons performed a study on the impact of gratitude on people. So he had his participants just do one thing, to count their blessings by writing them down in a journal every night. And what he discovered was just by doing that one simple thing, participants were healthier both emotionally and physically just because they counted their blessings. Seems like that old gospel hymn writer had it correct when he said, when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, Count your every blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings. Dr. Jamie Atten is a cancer survivor and a researcher who has 
examine the effect of trauma on people. And he encourages trauma survivors to do something very similar, to make meaning of their experiences. This is from an article in the Washington Post. He writes, most of us operate from what some researchers refer to as a just worldview. We tend to believe that if we are good, good things will happen. It's difficult then to make meaning when bad things happen to us. I went to the doctor for tests because of shooting pains in my leg. I never dreamed it was from a mass sitting on a nerve bundle in my pelvis. It was difficult for me to wrap my head around what had happened. Thoughts like, wasn't I a good person? Plagued me. A colleague of mine deployed to help with a relief agency after Superstorm Sandy. And she met a man whose roof had been blown away by gale-strength winds. This man surprised the relief team with an optimistic quip. Sometimes you have to lose the roof, he said, to see the stars. There is a man who knows how to find meaning in loss. My colleagues and I have interviewed and surveyed disaster survivors about their view of God in the wake of catastrophe. We have found that you can have two people who go through almost identical losses with one believing God saved them while the other believes God is punishing them. Remember, they went through the same disaster. But in the forthcoming volume of Psychology of Religion and Spirituality, we found that the person who doesn't find positive meaning is likely to struggle a great deal more. I encourage you, even in the worst moments, look for the stars. So look for the stars. Count your blessings, not your burdens, because that's how we root ourselves in living hope. We live in a time when people are so concerned with finding joy that they are willing to quit their jobs, leave their spouses, break up their families just to feel happy. Because we think if we can just find the right circumstances, you know? Is it the star? I guess I should go on, huh? <laughs> we think that if we can just find the right circumstances, if we can just find the right, right place to work, if we can just find the right spouse, if we can just find the right, the, right, the right friends, you know, if we can just have the right house, if we can just have the right car, if we can just have the right vacation, if we can just earn the right degree, if we can just earn the right paycheck, then we'll be happy. Not realizing that joy does not come from our circumstances. It is not a function of a pain-free, problem-free life. Joy is not dependent on the absence of hardship, but on the presence of hope. Lasting joy is rooted in living hope. So we can have joy in any circumstance, as long as we take the time to focus on those things that build our hope instead of destroy it. So, count your blessings. Look for the stars. And let God's living hope bring you lasting
joy. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we want to thank you for reminding us that you are a God of blessing. You are a God of joy. You are a God of guaranteed hope. So that no matter what we're facing right now, and we're facing a lot, we can trust that you will always come through for us. Give us that confidence in your living hope is our prayer in Jesus' name. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.